Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, part two of our lovely chat with Roisin Murphy. If you haven't heard part one, go listen to it first. If not, here's part two. You moved to Manchester when you were 12 as a family, didn't you? We did, yeah. That was due to severe financial difficulties. And we had lots of connections in Manchester. We'd already spent lots of summer holidays there, lots of aunties and um, my grandma was there. And my father had lived there as a young man for a while. So there was a great connection with Manchester anyway. So uh, I really thrived from that move. I was ripe to be go from a small town to a city, I think, at that moment in your life. It was much more difficult for my, my brother. Then your family went back to Ireland, right? But you stuck around. I did, yeah. I got a flat and it was a lovely flat in fantastic old Victorian house with a big garden that I could walk straight out onto. And um, I continued my studies through A-levels. And um, and then I went to Sheffield. It must have been scary, age 16, or did you just think you knew it all and could do it all? It was the best time in my life. Really? It was an extremely happy time. And I can count that kind, that sort of level of happiness on one hand, the times I felt like that. And it was an extremely freeing time. And I was, you know, absolutely safe. The way that I was, um, the background I'd had, and then the fact that I was being supported by housing benefit and I was getting money every week and I was surrounded by friends. It was it was great. It was just great. And you had quite a lot of sort of good clubbing experiences around then. It feels like it was slightly your beginnings and in access into queer culture. Lisa, I'll tell you what happened to me. I was really into alternative music in that time when I first got me flat. I was only 16, you know, and uh, I was going around with all these like Jesus and Mary t- chain type fellas, you know, and <laughs> and going every gig, going to every gig, going, going to, you know, the weirdo pubs, going to sound systems, going to anything we could get into because we were still very young, you know. Mm. And then I kind of moved away from that and I started going to more kind of like black clubs in Manchester. I, I started going out with a girl who was a black girl from my college. Mm to Precinct 13 and then to Moss Side to like um, PSV and, and and even to kind of like blueses and things in Moss Side. And I really got into that. And that's where I really got into dancing, you know, beside a sound system. 
Then I started going raving a little bit, to actual raves, 17 or 18. When I moved to Sheffield, really, 19, 18, 19, was when I started to be kind of educated as to what had created everything that was going on. So, you know, the DJs that I was listening to were playing a kind of seamless thing of disco through to house or, you know, or they would play hip hop and street soul. And, and then we started going back to Manchester to go to gay clubs. Right. And so I was always told by all these kind of elders, if you like, fellas like Parrot and Mark and that in Sheffield, that this was where that music came from point blank, you know. So then we started to, I started and we all started to go. We'd get a bus over to she- over to Manchester and go to gay clubs in Manchester. Uh, there wasn't that kind of scene in Sheffield. There was one club called Trash that came uh, and that was really good and it was really amazing actually. And fantastic amount of fashion going on for somewhere like Sheffield. Also, the earliest experience I had was going to London from Manchester, I think I was 16, on the bus, you know, <laughs> and staying with a friend down there who's a little bit older, who was staying in a flat that her dad owned on Liverpool Street. And then yeah. we went to trade and queued around the block like three times to get into trade, get, 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 kept getting turned down, went into trade, Got in the end, went in, upstairs, looked down, sea of men with no tops on, pants, lasers <laughs> pinging everywhere, smoke going everywhere, banging techno, you know. And I said to myself, I am actually home, I'm home. This is it, Babylon, come on. <laughs> so trade was, for anyone listening who doesn't know it, so trade was, like, correct me if I'm wrong, was it on a Sunday night at Turnmills or am I dreaming? Oh, I think it might have been on two nights or three nights over the week. I don't know. But anyway, it Saturday, could have been Sunday. It was right through the night, though. They went to the morning. Yes. You know? It was always... Um... Oh, it was, it was Babylon. For a young girl of that age, let me tell you, that was an eye-opener. But so many people were so sweet to us. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I loved it. I couldn't get enough after that. Well, it's, um, it's, it's interesting on two counts, really. But one being that you were mentioning people like Parrot and Mark, Mark Bryden, who you set up Maloko with, sort of educating you on where this house and disco came from. And that sort of started on the queer scene, right? Absolutely. I was told that point blank. And, you know, Mark used to say that was the best drugs he'd ever had was when he was going around with Boy George and the lads because he did some music. (laughs) He did some music with him, you know, quite a bit. He worked with him quite a lot, actually, a couple of years before I met him. Right. As a producer? Yes, as a producer. I think George tried to turn him. (laughs) He wasn't having it. And then it all fell asunder, the relationship. But... (laughs) They made some good tunes, and um, and he had the best time of his life, as far as I, I'm aware, you know, and really soaked it up with that gang in London. Mm. He didn't soak it up enough for George's taste. <laughs> <laughs> but he sort of had a kind of crash course immersion in 
queer culture then right being around people like boy george at that time particularly he did you know because they had something that they wanted because they were already doing the house music in 1987 so this would have been like 88 89 and they you know these lads in sheffield had something them lads in london really wanted and vice versa, you know, they could show them things and tricks mm. that they'd not seen in Sheffield, if you, if you, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but I'm very, going back further, I'm very influenced by glam rock and the whole attitude of glam rock and the whole feeling of um, the balls it takes to be a peacock, mm. you know, um, in, in let's say, you know, working class town like Sheffield and all, all them lads that became ABC and uh, the Human League that they would have come up against once they'd sort of slipped into their sister's blouse and put a bit of lipstick on and a bit of eyeliner and a few feathers they had to tot- totter down <laughs> to the centre of town you know yeah. <laughs> and run the gamut of um Whatever was, you know, it was just outrageous for them to be doing that, having just seen David Berry on top of the pops. Yeah. How could they possibly think they could do that in Sheffield? And things like that. I mean, I find those kind of juxtapositions. And as I said, you know, like when there's a lot of information, conflicting information in the air in that moment, I find those things really exciting and uh, inspirational. You mentioned... It's saying when you were standing in trade that nightclub and you felt like you'd come home kind of thing and you've also referred to yourself as a drag queen right which is kind of you're making me think it when you're talking about the glam rock thing and if when you first realized that like that was a two-way street that not only did you love it but actually the queer community adored you which they do and have for so long yeah, it was a joy because, you know, it was like saying, okay, everything you're doing, uh, the people who should know whether or not it's working on the level you're trying to make it work mm. seem to be reacting to it. Simple as that, you know, success, fantastic, you know, without wanting to uh, put anyone in a pigeonhole or anything like that. Um, at the end of the day, this fascination I have with the peacocks of the night and the music that goes along with it and the the potential in that um, creatively because it's, it doesn't have that kind of macho uh, ego that you know, rock has, the rock and roll or whatever. It's sort of a bit, bit more narrow what can be achieved and uh, and, and, and in this culture, in this genre, in this place, there is this great experimentalism because the music, ironically, the experimentalism comes out of trying to reach the function. So where people sort of get messed up with dance music because they think it's functional and bang, you know, you find the formula and there you have the function that work for you. Mm. But it's actually the other way around. It's like we have to keep reinventing the wheel. In, in order to invigorate what connects people to dancing and to, uh, to to make a thing happen, like jokes, you know, to make a laugh. 
Um, you can't <laughs> keep saying the same joke. It stops being funny. So do a new joke, yeah. a new joke, an experiment with what's funny, what is funny, what's, what is funny. And the same thing is like the music that makes you dance and is in that world. And the whole culture that goes around it is so expressive and expressionistic, you know, and that's what I am. Mm. Do you think that um, you have therefore always chosen to go down the road of like innovation, like finding the new joke, as it were, finding the new way of uh, connecting with people through dance music of any kind? Or any music, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, abso- absolutely. A bit, bit addicted to it. It's, it's a component that, that, although it's scary to be at your depth or to be beyond your own capability sometimes, this is what I try to get to as well. I try to do things that nobody thinks I can do, including myself. <laughs> that should be a very disquieting feeling. But actually, I find that to be a component of knowing, you know, that if that's there... There's a possibility what I'm doing is good. But where does that come from? What what in you is it that's striving for that, do you think? Mm, I could be a bit insecure, you know. could be driven by something as stupid as that, as, as like not feeling like I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. But even if it is so out of it, I think some great things have come. 100%. I always feel like you're, um, <laughs> along with a few other people doing the heavy lifting in pop <laughs> of remaining avant-garde mm. and experimental while making everybody want to dance, you know? Yeah, I, d- I don't even... It is hard for me, the pop thing, because I don't really like a lot of pop music. Mm. It's simple as that. It really is. There's so much music from the past and from the present. Listening to chart music... 90% of the time these days is, is, is I, I can't get my head around why people would, you know, there is music, kind of a music blindness some people have, you know. <laughs> yes. Really nice people, interesting people. I've got friends who are wonderful, but Jesus, if you give them the, like, the, the Spotify at a party, it's, it's, it's like, what hap- what's, the, what's missing? Where's the missing link? Like, you know, there's a world of music to discover and and deeply pleasurable music, music that's extremely expensive and sounds unfucking believable and changes your molecules and dips you into um, like another dimension, you know. There's loads of music like that. And then it's, you know, it's everywhere you go. It's the same bloody music. Yes. So no, the whole pop, the idea of pop truly, ultimately and scarily for anyone who perhaps would like to work with me in the music industry, <laughs> it just doesn't do it for me. You know, I, I find it a little bit um, repulsive. Is that... Is that fair? Uh, well, Not fair, is it? Well, I think it's but, um, interesting. It depends what you define as pop. And I always feel like the best music in the world is pop. You know what I mean? Like Grace Jones is pop in my head, but it's just done in the best possible way. 
Um, and I think that, that pop actually contains a load of other stuff that is like this traffic jam of people trying to copy the thing in order to, you know, repeat the success of someone who's been strange and avant-garde. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, uh, you know, I can sit and listen to Britney Spears records and fucking love them up. You know, she's done some unbelievably wicked tunes. You know what <laughs> I mean? And I am as into that as anyone else mm. ever, you know, etc. And onwards and before and after in pop. Yes, obviously. We are at a different time now, though. It is different. It is. Uh, it isn't as significant. It doesn't have to hold the same weight of cultural. I don't know. Maybe I'll talk about no. Skip it. I I I I don't know. But it it just it doesn't. You know. I'd like to reinvent it. I guess that's you know. I'd like to be allowed to reinvent it. Mm. Maybe I can reinvent it as an as an older woman, as a woman who's, you know, seen a bit and done a bit. Maybe my next project can reinvent it in a way that's totally unexpected. I always believe that, you know, in the beginning. I always believe that. And that's always what you're striving for when you start an album or an EP or whatever, a song of any description? Yeah, kind of. You know, well, I, uh, there are other things, which uh, more many things that I'm trying to do, but it's one of them. It's a good driver, isn't it? You know, it'd be great if I really did something special. And an artist like me has to have this drive. This isn't made in an industrial way. This is made by many collaborators with me, but I'm driving it, you know. And so I have to have the drive myself. Sometimes I'd, I'd like to sort of just have a little pub band with Eddie, actually, and just play music for the love of it. But I feel like you do. You know, just just turn up at the eight, turn up at the eight bells with you know a few musicians every now and again. And do you feel like you've moved towards a version of that? Because I know that you do a lot of your own stuff DIY, like you direct your videos and you do you're very involved in your artwork and all that stuff. Is that a, a sort of to do with? being frustrated by how the music industry has changed? No, God, no. It's, it's totally been just um, a natural thing to do, I think, just uh, get more and more involved in things. Um, if I do have a little bit of a, you know, pernicketiness about pop music and, you know, pop stars and the whole notion of what all that is and what it's supposed to mean or that it doesn't mean anything, then I kind of think, well, at least if I'm throwing myself into every channel that this thing, Roshi Murphy, is coming out of, then perhaps it's going to end up meaning something. Do you feel sometimes like you're treading the line of like trying not to be pretentious, but also wanting to be at the forefront and avant-garde and interesting and trying to find that balance? I, I'm absolutely not interested uh, in not being pretentious. It doesn't worry me at all being pretentious. Um, pretend, playing pretend, playing dress up, thinking things, being creative, being open. Um, it, it, as long as it doesn't harden into something that's immovable, mm. you know, then I'm 
you know, what's wrong with being a bit pretentious? With a little Lord Fauntleroy poncing around, (laughs) doing whatever she likes. What's wrong with that? I agree, because I think we police a lot of difference, you know what I mean? And I think it can be called pretentious. And it's like, well, is it pretentious or am I just expressing what I think? You know, also you get that one. Keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) Some lads in Sheffield who who are making music, you know, uh, used to sort of spout that one at us. Keep it simple, stupid. And I used to think, well, yeah, I'll keep it simple when I want to keep it simple. And I'll go mad when I want to go mad. And I'll do whatever it is I want to do, actually. Um, And... You know, there was this kind of reactionary moment against allowing musicians to go too free in your music or allowing too much knob twiddling or too much going on, which can be, you know, it's a very sensible thing to keep in mind. Let's not have too much going on. But at the same time, I've been doing it for, what's it now, more than 25 years and I, I like to keep it simple when I want to keep it simple and I'll go complicated when I feel complicated. And you, as the hopefully, as the listener who might look back over all the years of music that I've made, even ever so sort of briefly and just through skip through it, you'll find so much, you know, you'll find plenty there to entertain you, different moods you might have and that. Yes. You told a funny story about fashion and um, going to the Met Ball. Well, just, you know, I've done this. I've done this twice to uh, Anna Winter, where I've just sort of inadvertently completely ignored her wishes and um, got nervous and acted weird, basically. (laughs) And so (laughs) uh, 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 I got nervous when I got to the queue to get into the bloody thing, which was obviously like a, a very slow-moving queue with superstars waiting to have their photographs taken. Mm. And I just felt ridiculous. I just felt like I'm just going to be forcing the photographers to take my picture and wait an hour and then force them to take my picture um, between, say, Beyonce and Rihanna. Mm. And I was also being accompanied by... Um, the guy who runs Diesel, who's also very shy, very nice man, but very shy. And I could sense he was re- feeling really awkward about the whole thing too. So I just said, let's skip this completely. And and we did, and apparently that wasn't that wasn't the done thing. Oh, really? Skip the going through and then and shaking hands with, with Anna Winter and everything. And then there was another time where some lovely guys that I know are amazing designers from New York we were in Paris during Fashion Week and they invited me to the American Vogue uh, apartment where Anna was hosting a kind of intimate soiree. And it was all people, like she picks these young guys every year, girls that are amazing and she supports them and everything. And it was all pretty much that type of thing. And I arrived with these two guys and I just um, immediately thought... Well, I'll get out of the way while they talk business, you know, yourself, like, you know. So I sort of just, she was waiting at the door and I kind of swerved and turned away and walked straight into the (laughs) bloody party. 
apparently the look on her face was not at all what one would want. Really? Um, so anyway, but there you go. Yeah, but that's the story of my life. I mean, that's like, there's, there's no reason for me to, to have a connection with fashion because every time I have a connection with fashion, I do something stupid like that. <laughs> but is it that... Um... I suppose, okay, so for the Met Ball, for example, like people go there, uh, you know, we get all the photos the next morning of everyone on the, on the stairs and Rihanna's in that dress and Beyonce's in that dress and they look amazing. The, the, the actual on the ground reality of that is Beyonce and Rihanna have to queue for like an hour and a half to get on that red carpet. And that is fundamentally weird. It's fine. It's absolutely fine if the whole world is waiting for that photograph of you and all those photog- photographers are desperate for the photographer. You know, mm. you're doing everybody a favour by waiting there for an hour. But I'm just getting in the way. Like That's how I felt. <laughs> and um, I just nip in and basically get a glass of champagne and try and chill out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it's funny because you so aren't getting in the way. People want to see what you're wearing, and people are fascinated by you. But I... no, 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 no. Definitely, a hundred percent was getting in the way. <laughs> but um, I didn't get in the way. You see, so I just slipped and slide. You know, I like to slip and slide, and uh, I like to. I think you know, going back to my parents as well, and that culture that I was brought up in in the in the late seventies and through the eighties in Ireland where all classes had sort of almost broken down, really. And the Irish culture is like that. Going to the horse culture, you know, the man is running the Lord around in circles. The guy you can do with the horses is, you know, he's the king. Just not who owns the horses or the stables or whatever have you. And so there's all this like slipping and sliding between different kinds of cultures or... One minute you're with a priest or priests and the next minute you're drinking with, it could be anybody, you know, could be Brendan Bean or some old fucker. <laughs> it, it could be anyone. And, and that was the way it was growing up. And I really value um, being able to slip through uh cultural and class divides and I've always been able to do that my parents have always done it and it's irrelevant it's irrelevant to us irrelevant do you quite like getting into those kind of inner sanctum type spaces like the Met Ball or Anna Wintour's house but then sort of being the naughty kid there and not quite playing by the rules absolutely if that's the way it turns out yeah I'm 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 all up for that uh that kind of uh, behaviour. <laughs> Will you tell me the story that I feel sums you up in many, many ways, but you might disagree, um, about when you went to a retreat in Ibiza for some R&R? Oh, God. Well, it was, it was quite a big journey, that one. When I went to the retreat, I was there a day early, and then I went to Pasha. Um, I arrived on a Saturday, went to Pasha that night. I arrived back to the retreat at like 11 o'clock the next morning and all these <laughs> lovely yoga people had arrived and I was wiped out and tried to do the yoga at 5 o'clock in the evening. 
but then nearly died. So the day after, I, you know, they were all talking about me. Said, oh, she's arrived, you know, and she's been out partying already. <laughs> so I, I, I got a driver guy to come pick me up, and I, I threw the bag over the wall. I climbed over the wall and disappeared into the night. I went off into Ibiza for a couple of weeks, staying at different <laughs> hotels and places and blah, and really on my own, alone. It was a bad time in my life, actually. Although you can be here and just never be alone, in a way. So I met all sorts of people and ended up going on all these different different journeys. And uh, one was one night I was at, back in Pasha and was about to go home. And the next thing is I ended up in the VIP with Puff Daddy and Khalees and all these amazing people chatting. And time went by and I ended up on the street outside Pasha at nine o'clock in the morning when they closed it with no lift home. And I lived in the north of the island at the time. Started walking down the street in the lovely little Xander Rose dress um, with the sun beating down on me, my fair Irish skin in the high heels and the little handbag, crying and just walking and people just thinking I was a freak. And then some lovely young guy who was on his way to San Antonio in his rental car stopped and said, are you okay? And I said, I'm not okay, I can't, I couldn't get a taxi, it was impossible. They all went off. I saw them going <laughs> off in the blacked out, uh, windowed sort of vehicles, you know. And um, yeah. I mean, that was, a, that was a wake up call. That was, a, that was pretty much time to go back to London then, I thought. You've reached <laughs> your peak of idiocy. <laughs> it was it's one so of them. When you, there's been a couple of times I've come back from my visa and it doesn't happen anymore, but it used to happen where I just thought, at least I'm alive. At least I'm alive, <laughs> you know, and I'd be walking around Queen's Park. With the September sun dappling my head, and I'd be going, I'm alive! I'm actually alive after that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's sort of the reason I love that story. Two reasons. One is that I think it kind of. Um, I wonder if it says more about you in the respect that you like to be part of that Kelly's Puff Daddy world. But at the same time... I'm not it's... at all part of that. I don't like to be part of it. And I'm not part of it, you know. But sometimes they, you know, they invite me in and then they realise I'm not up for the sex parties and all that. And then I and then I get... <laughs> then they don't let you in the limo. Then anymore, <laughs> no. She's not going to give out, is she? <laughs> um... But sorry, I don't mean that you like it, but I suppose that it's part of, it's part of your job in some ways, isn't it? Being a bit of a star and, you know, being a superstar and hanging out in VIP bits. But then it feels like maybe there's something in all of that that, that doesn't sit well with you, which is um, that it's not really to do with the music. It's, it's not even that. It's, it's knowing that that hasn't actually been necessary for me to still mm -hmm. be here talking to you. That is such a success mm -hmm. for me. You know, that is such an incredible... Mm think that you know i don't have to do that uh, i don't have mm. to be someone who can't walk around with my children or and at the most mm. extreme end of it but i'm also not somebody who ever had to get tied up or addicted or into some kind of cycle of um 
feeding the monster or I have got loads of time to be creative and I've got plenty of people who are interested in what I do creatively and I've made a life out of it rather than made myself famous, you know. Mm. And I think I'm very proud, I'm very proud and delighted it's like that. It's bloody brilliant. It really is. Yeah. It is, and it, 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 it's also, um, I wanted to ask you about, because it reminded me of the Overpowered video, where, you know, you, you for anyone who hasn't seen it or, you know, needs a refresher, you know, it starts with you on stage in that amazing outfit. Is it Gareth Pugh, that outfit? Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. That, that whole campaign is about that, that, that thing you're talking about, that sort of... Uh, mm tension between this exhibitionism and a, and, a, and a groundedness you know something healthy under it not not unhealthy as you may assume interesting yeah i'd never thought about it like that because because then in the video you obviously then go home and you're getting chips on the way home and then you go into your very normal flat and then i think my favorite bit of that whole video is that you you don't you don't get undressed to get into bed you get into bed in the outfit yes that, which is that this huge 100 percent necessary that was necessary <laughs> <laughs> the album cover is the same in a nutshell you know there's me in the good calf you know proper calf you get what you pay for nice bit mm. of um english breakfast bit of couture Living the vida loca, you know, what else do you want? But is it is it sort of an interest in those, what I think is really interesting, uh, is, you know, like an interest in the moments in and around the performance that, you know, it, that which relates to the Puff Daddy thing, it relates to the Puff Daddy story, sorry, and that video of like, you're still it, even when you're not on stage. There's moments where everybody else's limo does drive off and you're just still there. Yeah, I'm still it when I'm not on stage because when I'm on stage, I'm not pretending. She's a delight. Loved that chat. Let us know what you thought of it. Email your comments, questions and agony uncles to hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Get in touch. Stay connected on Instagram at homosapiens, Facebook at homosapienspodcast. Next week's episode is... Wednesday the 1st of December Christmas starting have you got an advent calendar are they sustainable so many questions it's World AIDS Day and so we are joined by Ruth Coker Burks and Ruth Coker Burks is this incredible woman who in the beginning of the AIDS crisis started looking after men who had AIDS in Arkansas in America when nobody would even go near them they wouldn't go near them not in hazmat suits she went in she went looked after them unprotected because she knew these people needed love she then went on to start to bury these men whose families had abandoned them she took it upon herself to bury them herself by night because nobody would even touch the graves because they thought they were contaminated this woman is an angel from on high. She is the most extraordinary person I have ever encountered. What she did for people at the beginning of the AIDS crisis is unparalleled. She is talking to us. It is the most incredible story. And it's World AIDS Day. So it's the perfect time to talk to her and to talk about how far we've come.
you know it's so different today as it was way back then so it's a beautiful episode please tune in next week and thank you very much for listening today i've finished my coffee i've finished it all thank you goodbye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Powered by Spirit Studios.